Hello everyone, it's time for a rare pre-pod announcement, which means one of two things. Either we have something very important to tell you and we need to catch your full attention, or alternatively we weren't organised enough to know something before we recorded this week's episode. Or in this case, it is both. We mentioned on the last show that we'd given in to those people who were determined to drag us out of the comfort of our northern milieu and take us to a place where people use the word milieu a little more regularly. So behold, if you will, the grand unveiling of our London live show. We will be celebrating our fifth anniversary with Set Piece Menu Live on Thursday the 16th of December at the Courtyard Theatre in Shoreditch. And you can be with us. In fact, we kind of need you to be with us. It would be an extravagantly expensive way of just recording a podcast. Doors are at 7pm, which is important because it allows us to get back home before we have to give the car we're all piling into back to Chinch Motors, even if the company proprietor is actually the driver for the trip. SPM Live, a fifth anniversary special, is on Thursday the 16th of December at 7pm at the Courtyard Theatre in London's fashionable Shoreditch. Uh, Those are the what's and the when's. This is the very important how. Just head to myticket.co.uk. That's myticket.co.uk and search for Set Piece Menu or click on the link on our Twitter or Facebook pages. Tickets are £22.50 plus booking fee. That's £22.50 plus booking fee. It's at myticket.co.uk. Just search for Set Piece Menu. We will also be pinning details on our social media feeds uh, where you can click on a link to. Hopefully all those people who asked for it can be there. We have documentary evidence of those who did and we'll be checking names at the door. Join us then for our fifth anniversary show, SBM Live in London on Thursday the 16th of December. Myticket.co.uk and just search for Set Piece Menu. Now on with the episode that you'll quickly realise was oblivious to this momentous announcement. Well, I I help a gardener. Okay, you are married to a gardener. Yes. Would you be able to give me some advice? I have not um, been the owner slash proprietor of a garden before. Okay. But now I am. Yeah. There are mushrooms everywhere. What do I do about them? When you say... should I do nothing about them? Everywhere? Are we talking about in the grass? In the grass. There are bunches of multiple types of mushrooms springing up. Shiitake? <laughs> no, she didn't. But <laughs> but she has she has asked me to ask. Um, it's not a problem that we faced here in Woodford. It's not the kind of problem that Woodford would have. You know, fungi. There's only one fungi in Woodford. That's all I'm saying. I can I can certainly. But then again, I suppose if you just rather than ask me, why don't you just Google it? How do I kill? numerous amounts of fungi because and i'm going to tell you why because yeah. when you google something like that there are multiple answers yeah some of which will chime with each other but are often in blogs which require you to read for 20 to 25 minutes okay. it's like recipes you get you google oh my a recipe god and you have to scroll down for five minutes before you actually get the recipe because somebody is describing why they like the recipe oh but, some sort of okay. experience of the recipe oh it's, Don't care. it's infuriating just tell me what just tell me what's in it and what order you put them in a pan Give me ingredients and method, nothing and, more. And for example, if, if one of those ingredients is mushrooms and you have picked them from your garden, why, mm. what kind, and if they weren't that, would you have got rid of them and how? 
We've been, Katie's been getting quite a bit of this sort of Hello Fresh and Gusto. You know, the boxes get everything delivered. Brilliant. Like it a lot. Things are going well for the Wyatt. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, I have not, I've not seen what it's costing so far, so let's not uh, overcommit to how it well it saves on the, the Le Creuset pans as well, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> we do have one Le Creuset pan. Yeah, I thought you would. But the, the recipes for that always follow the same the same method where you get started, you think, oh yeah, this is this is all right, I can see that. Right, put in put into the pan to caramelise for however long. And then all your other preparation seems to be supposed to be done during that very brief moment that the oh, yeah. onions are in the pan. Every like, every how every... quickly can people chop and prepare food for a family of four? They expect you to be a professional sous chef when they say preparation time five minutes. That generally speaking will take me half an hour. But back to the original point, Sorry. which is yeah. how do yeah. I get rid of mushrooms in my garden? Do I need to get rid of mushrooms in my garden? Those two questions I need to have answered, please, Ginch, if you could ask your wife. Um I, yeah, I don't are mushrooms would there be a gar I don't think people gardeners, serious gardeners, want mushrooms in their garden necessarily are they a feature they're not really a feature are they they're not, not something feature, you would want to grow but somebody did but say I... that they are they are a um as a result of a healthy lawn oh that's good so therefore it's not yeah. necessarily in of itself a bad thing but do you want them there these yeah. are important questions and i would like answers this is this podcast is becoming different isn't it as we get more middle-aged how much more middle-aged can I get? Well, not much. You I mean you're, yeah. you're, 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 you're the side of it. I'm in the sweet spot. I'm, look, I'm looking forward to kind of, kind of ten years time when we sort of chinch just a bit of advice on the hip replacements. What sort of hip replacement should oh, I I'm get? I'm determined. You know, I'm determined to get to seventy with no artificial joints. That is my that's my my raison d'être. It really is what not this ambition. podcast. It's a load of shit. But just staying fully formed until I'm seventy. That's what I'm really after. I'm not entirely sure which. Which of the three of us, Rory, you decided to employ the Camp Yorkshire accent for? But consider me, that's <laughs> my that's my that's my impression of me when I'm I old. Really plus, hope it's you. Plus, sorry, it's to not hear, a Camp sorry Yorkshire to about arthritis, by the way, Rory, because clearly, if you're already thinking of hip replacements, no, oh, it's coming. My my um Ed refers to my mum as half robot because she's got she's got so many bits. That have um, that have been replaced with metal. I have taught him to call her half a robot to walk in and say, "Grandma Ali, are you half a robot? Um, <laughs> are we going to see Grandma or hybrid Grandma, <laughs> Cyborg Granny?" The um, not. When you say she's half a robot, is it top and bottom or side to side? <laughs> no, she's got she's got two metal hips, two metal knees. So bo- bottom half robot. She's a, yeah, like a like a Terminator. Metal centaur. A metal a metal centaur is a brilliant way of describing it. <laughs> the Robocop remake sounds awful. This is Set Piece Many, the podcast where four friends talk football over food. I'm Hugh Ferris. Joining me are Stephen Wythe, Val Desaire, Rory Smith, Val Policella, and Andy Hinchcliffe, Val Dunican. Um, the, the food is... <laughs> I had some Val Policella last evening and it was really pleasant. Yeah, it's great to drink on your own, isn't it, out of a massive wine glass? Steve likes skiing, Rory likes Italy, and you like old Irish singers in very heavy sweaters around Christmas time. Um, the food is, Stephen? Well, as we were talking about last week, me and the family in isolation, all having tested positive for COVID, lots of lovely friends came round and, and dropped things off on our doorstep. They, they knocked on the door and then beat a hasty retreat and sort of waved at us from the other side of the road. Bags of faeces or... <laughs> It was actually nicer stuff than that, Chinch. I mean, this is not a criticism of our friendship group. It is, it's, it's, it's more to credit them for their, their generosity. We had a delicious beef pie 
delivered by by one friend, which we had the other night, and also uh, George's friend Issa. His mum arrived on the doorstep with the most magnificent homemade curry: a lamb curry, samosas, chicken kebabs, rice. Those are the kind of friends you need in a crisis. How do you, do you return that favour, Steve? How do, how yeah. are you? What what are you going to send back? I think Katie's going to bake them a loaf of bread. <laughs> oh, they'll be made up with that. Maybe it'll some be sour, water. It'll be, it'll be sourdough, Chinch. Not, not okay, okay. To be fair, Steve's friends do sound really nice. I'm it's thinking about getting ill more often. Yeah. <laughs> The football, he, doesn't have, he doesn't have COVID, he's pretending. Although I, I should also credit the friends that dropped off a Colin the Caterpillar cake. Nice. Oh, <laughs> the authentic, and, and not one of the Aldi or Little knockoffs, <laughs> the proper Marks and Spencers version. Uh, the football is, Chinch, do you know what we're talking about today? Uh, for once I have absolutely, I, I should know but I don't. Uh, we're going to talk about something that we've actually kept for this moment. Yes, despite our usual inability to plan anything, we've waited for the return, the grand return of the... EFL Cup. That's uh, no, it. No, not intending to consider its existential pointlessness, but rather something that Pep Guardiola said after the last round when Manchester City beat Wickham about his five teenagers that played that day benefiting uh, from uh, coming up against a team like Wickham every week. Uh, it brings about several questions, not all which shine a particularly positive light on a club like the one Guardiola manages, actually, but uh, most of which we're completely unqualified to answer. So we'll definitely have a go at those then. As we ask, loans, lower league partnerships or leave young players just as they are? Um, that is all to come on the podcast. You can get in touch with us via setpiecemenu at gmail.com. We start with an entirely organic way of getting you to buy things. This is an email from Dealer. Hi, guys. As they say, long-time listener, first-time caller. I don't know if this has happened to anyone else, but this Wednesday morning, as I was making my morning tea, I asked Siri to play Set Piece Menu podcast. It misheard and started playing Sexy Pillows podcast. Its full name, I checked afterwards, is Sexy Pillows Podcast Sleep With Me. So just wondering how much traffic that SPM gets from Siri mishearing it the other way around. Anyway, I'm really looking forward to the live show and we'll be travelling up from Leamington Spa. Also, I purchased some merch, which hopefully will arrive in time for that. But can we clarify if non-Buffalo listeners can wear Buffalo-related merch? I bought a Buffalo t-shirt as I like the design, but it just doesn't feel right. Oh, well, I'm going with it anyway. As always, thank you for everything. Keep up the good work. Best wishes from uh, Dealer. Could we make a ruling for Dealer? And I know what I would like the ruling to be, but I'm going to be uh, consensual about this and ask the group. I think you can wear a Buffalo T-shirt providing you haven't added your name to it on the back with a number (laughs) to identify yourself as such. You are celebrating the Buffalo ideal rather than claiming ownership of it. That is a very sensible and well thought out argument, Stephen. I say no, absolutely, because you're spending money and that's all that really matters. Um, so thank you, dealer. We will see you at the live show, which is at the National Football Museum on Thursday, the 4th of November. Get your tickets at nationalfootballmuseum.com or via the link on Facebook or Twitter. We would love to see you there Thursday, the 4th of November, 7 p.m. Um, I mentioned a couple of weeks ago about how many emails we got following SPM 252, which was on playbooks, an excellent subject suggestion. So here's one from Andrew Hopper David. And he shuffles his papers. It's a big one. Dear Hastings, Fleming, Arnott, and H. Coincidence? I think not. Is that line of is that a line of duty? Oh, right. okay, well, that, is that it? Landed. Is that right? <laughs> that landed. <laughs> is it? Yes. Is it? 
Yeah. I've never I've never watched it so. Oh, right. in, in that case everybody's watched Light of Duty will be chiming in with me thinking what an excellent way to start excellent, the email. Yeah. Firstly, I have finished my masters in football coaching. Congratulations to you Andrew. Secondly, excellent timing on your playbooks episode as I have recently written 6000 words on tactical periodization and an additional 150 page PowerPoint on my game model for said masters in football coaching. In the game model, it is worked around the four moments of the game, attack, transition to defence, defend, and transition to attack. And then what to do for each moment in each third, and which of the five width-based channels. Pep Guardiola would be salivating at this. Mm -hmm. The game model is developed through tactical periodization and the tactical periodization which is dictated by the game model, they are entwined. You've knocked us out there more than the H reference did, perhaps. Whilst Josie Mourinho is famous for tactical periodization, Pep also uses it, as does Klopp, Heinkes, and many others. The papers started around the mid-2010s and were originally only in Spanish and Portuguese, but there are a fair few in German and English that I managed to find. Whilst tactical periodization does state that it should be built on defensive principles and shape, as you mentioned, it does build towards your attacking model later in the periodic coaching. Also, this does not mean your defensive tactical model cannot start at the front, for example, pressing. And as for plays, I point you towards the documentary Take the Ball, Pass the Ball. In this, Thierry Henry and Xavi talk through how Barcelona would start attacks from when the goalkeeper played the ball out. Every move was performed in synchronised fashion in all 11 positions and was pre-planned, much like the NFL. In the film, they also talk about how this led to defender Dmitry Chuginski being left out and eventually leaving after he played a long pass to Ibrahimovic twice during what was meant to be a pre-planned play. This also impacted on him and Ibrahimovic leaving. Although, as we all know, the latter there was more to it. I am trying to keep it short, but in my normal... Yes, at this point he says that. But in my normal long-winded fashion, basically, this is where football is and also where it is 100% headed. Julian Nagelsmann's idea of earpieces would just allow players to be told a number of pre-planned attacks and he would call them. There would be room in already used tactical periodization for them to practice. In terms of development, it is only natural. We have gone from brilliant players winning games, then the likes of Arrigo Saki started creating players who were tactically more, more astute. This was followed by the likes of Arsene Wenger making players fitter, more professional. You add in the likes of Renus Michels and his development of Jimmy Hogan's possession play through total football, creating defenders who attack and attackers who defend. Johan Cruyff following this by building systems that create these players from a young age. The likes of Victor Maslow inventing pressing as we know it now. The likes of Marcelo Bielsa with his analysis, which is now commonplace in many other components. These many parts of the 150-page PowerPoint, I would imagine. Then at the top, the super coaches who have studied all of the above and more. Throw in budgets to make the eyes water and we sit here waiting for what next? Someone has simply looked over at other sports and thought basketball rotates around the hoop well. American football run plays well. And like all the best coaches, they are the best learners. And Nagelsmann, Pep, Klopp, Ed Al are finding the next edge. So whilst there will still be individual players who do things that give them that edge, the coaches looking for the next edge have been doing it for 100 plus years. There has to be something to divide the top of the top. As Rory often states, to be a top level footballer, they are already unbelievably good at football. So if they are already similar in being unbelievably good at football, it is all the other elements that divide them, along with technique, tactical astuteness, training, team cohesion, analysis, diet, injury prevention, fatigue, monitoring, monitoring etc. Knowing the playbook would become just another new thing that becomes the norm in 10 years. Finally, what's the criteria for being a Buffalo? I think it's three readouts, isn't it? If you read this out, it's my fourth. 
I'll go buy my t-shirt with pride once I'm able to get my wife to hear that you have indeed bestowed me with that honourable position on Set Piece Menu. Uh, all the best as always. I'm off to walk my dogs on the local Pembrokeshire cliff. Uh, kind regards, mm. uh, Andrew Hopper-Davis. We've had this conversation about the Pembrokeshire cliffs before. Um, would uh, Given that uh, we have not only read out Andrew four times, but also regurgitated most of his thesis, would you be happy for him to be our newest buffalo? I feel the real qualification for being a buffalo is, do I remember the name from previous readouts? And I do with Andrew Hopper Davis, so I am on board with him being a buffalo. He's put in the work. Did we get a copy of that? <laughs> no, I'm not being funny. Yeah, I'm why, sure he'd why be very happy. I'm, be, I'm sure he'd be very, very why happy. Why are you laughing? He's put a hell of a lot of work in. I'm interested true. in it. You're laughing. You. Well, outrageous. That's absolutely ridiculous, Ferris. <laughs> I laugh at anything. That's my role. Anybody who says something, I fill the Simpsons. gap with a laugh. Um, so congratulations, Andrew. You are a buffalo and you will therefore buy merch. Mm-hmm. Um, finally, from Joe Turner. Dear John, Paul, George and Ringo. Probably already done, but just in case. Keep up the great work on the podcast. As I decluttered the house at the weekend, I came across a stack of old Everton programs. While watching Everton limp to a home defeat to West Ham a couple of weeks ago, I thought what better thing to do than relive the good old days for Everton, i.e. early to mid-90s. As I was putting them on eBay, space needs to be made in the house, I thought that I would have a flick through each to see where Chinch was featured. Given the ridicule that Chinch receives, often from himself, I am sure that you are hoping for some embarrassing interview. Alas, I could not find any. Often the poster boy see attached, there was a distinct lack of Chinch features. Surprising, as you would think that he may have had some time to do them when injured. Anyway, some photos attached from set programmes, including a note from the manager after he was called up for England, and an action shot of him drilling a free kick into a wall of players. What? <laughs> I never drilled a free kick into a wall of players. That's... that. I, that's not how I took free kicks, so that is clearly nonsense. Right then. Drilling a... Bo- I didn't take free kicks like that. Other people did. I- this is the first time I've seen Chinch genuinely offended. <laughs> so here we are. Look I'm at going, that. I'm showing the group. Look at those legs. Look at that. Joe Royal said, Andy Hinchcliffe's selection to join the England squad in Moldova was long overdue in my opinion. He's been a tremendous player in my time at the club and I always felt he was international class. Uh, there you are, Chinch, drilling it into a wall of players, although it's not, I don't think it's uh, Wait above, a minute. above Andy going, Hinchcliffe. The goalkeeper is more... Is that the goalkeeper on the that's floor? Not, He's more that's advanced. not a free kick. That's not a free kick, is it's it? It's not a free kick. If you look at the caption below, Andy mm. Hinchcliffe tries to drive the ball past what appears to be the whole Coventry team from a close-range free kick. Oh, so it's it a free kick that's been, been given for the goalkeeper picking the ball up. Yeah, it looks like the... And then keepers did that, didn't they? They just went diving headlong as soon as the ball was moved. So maybe... Oh, look at, look at that. Can you send me that picture? That is Sex gorgeous. Look at, the, look at how small those shorts are. <laughs> Quads to die for. The, the moist look of a recently showered footballer. Andy yeah, Hinchcliffe was recently paid a big compliment. That, even the first part of that sentence doesn't seem to ring true. Oh, but that, that was the Crystal Palace had tried to buy you. I, I didn't know that. I didn't yep. know that. God, Steve Cobble tried to buy you, apparently. Here's another double-page spread of Chinch in a, uh, what must be third or fourth Everton kit, of yeah. white with uh, black stripes. I don't remember that kit, but he looks no. sexy. I don't remember that kit. Those shorts are massive, Chinch. Yeah, I think those I shorts one would look bigger than the other. NBA yeah. player. Yeah, the tight shorts of the City days, massive shorts later in my career. Another double-page spread looking looking uh, a little bit smug there, I must admit, Chinch. No, that's not smug. That's, that's like, oh, like Shrek. <laughs> oh, this, this might be my favourite. What? 
this is Chinch pre-match with a very, very heavy-looking jumper. But it's not slowing him down. Look at that. That it's is billowy. quite it's the billowy, athlete. isn't it? But look at the quads again. Look at the and calves rippling. Quite wow. the hair. The hair is very Beckham-esque there, Chinch. Oh, that's... yeah. Oh, how dare What's you, Steve? I quite like the carpet. Day or... Do we think that's... Is that an oatmeal? <laughs> it's biscuit. Biscuit will be biscuit, yeah. Uh, biscuit. Thank you very much indeed. Great uh, pictures. To uh, Joe for, for sharing those pictures. We will, in turn, share them on social media. Uh, correspondence of any kind, menu at gmail.com. Now, like World Cups or takeovers by a Middle Eastern state, sorry, the Public Investment Fund of a Middle Eastern state, some events always seem to prompt a recurring debate. Scoff you might, but the early rounds of the EFL Cup appear to be significant enough to be one such milestone in the football calendar. Pep Guardiola played four teenagers just in defence against Wickham in the third round of the Carabao Cup, and they had an evening's work against the 39-year-old Adiakin Fenwa. Following the game, Guardiola suggested a weekly test of this nature would serve his young players a little better rather than playing against those of their own age in games often particularly one-sided. It would take an almighty change of tradition and structure, one that we've discussed the merits of before, to accede to his wish, but another possible solution might be found at the door of his and indeed other elite clubs. Add to that the fact that young players are not a homogenous group. Each individual has their own decisions to make. Their career is understandably their priority. Which is where we bring in a recent email from Daniel Baines, who wanted to talk about the EPPP, the Premier League's Elite Player Performance Plan, which they describe as being a long-term strategy with the aim of developing more and better homegrown players. Says Daniel, outstanding teenagers at EFL clubs can be pinched by Premier League clubs for a set fee. In my club Northampton's case, that would be Aston Villa and Leicester. These players then have a decision to make. Do I stay at Northampton and get experience playing men's football? Or do I go to a Premier League club with world-class facilities and coaches and try and work my way through the youth football into the Premier League? Carney Chuck Wemmicker chose to go to Aston Villa and it's working out well for him. Already made a couple of appearances for Villa this season. However, it's not working well for Northampton. He was sold for basically nothing. And the idea is, if Carney is a real talent, the EFL clubs will eventually get rewarded for it. The maximum the Cobblers will get, though, from this is £1.3 million. And he'd have to make 100 Premier League appearances. If Carney had stayed at Northampton for a few more years, the club could have received a huge figure from Villa. It gets even worse when Pep Guardiola speaks in his press conference about wanting to loan out his young players for experience. Obviously, if these players had come through EFL clubs, they would have gained that experience and the EFL clubs would benefit. The whole thing is a mess, which needs sorting. But this is the problem. There's hardly any media coverage of it at all. You see Gary Neville ranting on Sky about the Super League, and rightly so, but I've never seen anyone rant on Sky about the EPPP scheme. So I guess the question is, are players morally wrong for choosing the heavenly Premier League? And what's best for them, staying in the experience uh, of League One or getting loaned out where they're deemed not ready yet for the Premier League. And of course, why has this gone under the radar? So that is from Daniel Bain. So we're asking today, along with those questions, loans, lower league partnerships, or leave young players as they are. Rory, you chimed in with this debate when it originally happened uh, after the third round of the uh, Carabao Cup, when Pep made those comments. And you did so rather uh, with tongue in cheek, but the point I think remained. I, I do get where Guardiola's coming from. And I, I think we shouldn't forget that he comes from a tradition where the biggest teams, and it's not just Barcelona and Real Madrid, have, have B teams that compete in, in the lower leagues. And that to him seems perfectly normal. And it, it's not really fair of us to say, you know, to, to act outraged at the fact that someone who comes from a different tradition might think that tradition has some benefit. And actually that tradition might be right. That's fine. It's, there's, England doesn't have that 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 history of B teams, but Spain does, Germany does. It's not really a problem. They're just, you know, horses for courses, different strokes for different folks, all the rest of it. Um and there's not it's not really a surprise to me that Guardiola thinks that should be 
thinks that that might be beneficial. I guess where I fall down is that with with Guardiola in that case is that I I'm surprised at Guardiola. Am I surprised? I'm not that surprised. It's a little bit disappointing that Guardiola, who is a very intelligent man, seems to do so little interrogation of his own positions. That that he should be able to work out that he might think that because it benefits him and his club and the club where he spent most of his career as a player and as a fan and initially as a manager and in fact all the teams he's worked for whereas it there might be a flip side to the debate and it it struck me that he hadn't kind of completed his thoughts almost which was he has all these wonderfully talented young players who need to play competitive football and that his solution to that is that man city should be allowed to be a team so that they they can play regular games an equally viable solution is that manchester city shouldn't be allowed to shouldn't be allowed to stockpile quite so many talented young players that 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 would do the job just as well but the complication with that is that there is an argument and it's 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 written basically in the in the logic of eppp is that you don't get quite as many good young players if the best the very best of them aren't all gathered together at, at certain clubs that that is the 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 founding thesis of the system is that the the more players who are the more players of a high level who are at the same club the better they will be that it raises the level that if you had cole palmer and all the others taylor harwood bellis and all those spread out at oldham and stockport and grimsby and wherever else then they would not get chance to be as good as they might be able to be training together at man city working with top class coaches working with great facilities working you know with with the first team players as and when they're called up, you know, being given experience by Pep Guardiola, that it is better for their development. For their development, to is that be... why Phil? Is that why Phil Foden was kept at City rather than sending him out? Yeah, anywhere else to play. It's interesting. Different managers have different views on it. I think so. Pochettino at Spurs, you could always tell which young players he thought weren't going to make it because they'd go out on loan. That was his. That was his way of basically raising the market value of those players. He wasn't trying. To, he he wasn't giving them spells at. Norwich or wherever to to get them ready for the Spurs first team. He was giving them spells at Norwich, so that someone wanted to buy them. Yeah, that was what what they were doing. I think City's approach is probably broadly similar. That the ones who go out and it's complicated by this this the sister club model and the fact that you know they're, they're loaning players to Girona or Twa or wherever. But the ones who go out, I think, are the ones that they're not convinced will make it. And it was certain certainly the Foden example. There were a couple of times with Foden where you looked at it and thought you should be going out on loan because you're not going to be in the first team this season. You're definitely not, not going to get a chance to define a position. And I kind of looked at it and thought it would make sense for them to loan him, loan him out. I was completely wrong about that, that Guardiola's principle was it is best for him to be here with me working every day with these world-class players rather than risking going to Borussia Mönchengladbach for a year where he might not settle, he might not speak the language, the coach might not trust him, might not be fully invested in him, so he might lose a year of development. Better for him to be here than than somewhere else. And I think if you look at Klopp, he's on the same. Curtis Jones has stayed at Liverpool pretty much the whole time. They they let Harvey Elliott go out on loan to Blackburn for a season, but I don't think the club were necessarily on board with that. I think that was at, at Elliot's instigation and his insistence that he wanted to play and they decided not to stand in his way. I think if the club had had their way, they maybe would have, maybe would have, they would have kept him around for that season. Most managers now seem to think at that level that it's best for the players, the young players to be with them than um, playing 
four or five games a season than it is to be out on loan, potentially playing 30, but potentially playing two as a substitute because the manager doesn't trust you and results go against you and you don't quite fit into the system and you haven't learned the language and blah, blah, blah. Um, that seems to be, the, to, to be the modern thinking that you keep you keep the players in-house for as long as you can because that is where they learn the most. Is that a consequence, Rory? And I wonder whether there's a couple of extreme examples that you've given there of the the way now that clubs are developing players to play in a certain style. So the, the same style filters down from the first team to the under-23s and even into the other youth team categories. So that somebody like Phil Foden, who has been brought up on Guardiola's City method, will benefit much more from being exposed to that continuously rather than getting regular first-team football somewhere else. So that actually, in the case of him and maybe Curtis Jones as well with Liverpool, it would be detrimental for them to be playing regularly somewhere else because they have been drilled on and brought up with a certain way. And if they are going to be a success and a pivotal player for their their employer, that they need to stick to those methods rather than rather than someone else's. That that is that is exactly the reason. Um, and for, from all the times that I had conversations with people about Phil Foden. It was, it was, as you mentioned, Rory, about Maurizio Pochettino, the, the sign that they thought that he was as good that he is now proving was that he, they did not ever even countenance the idea of him moving on loan because this, this was a diamond attempting to be crafted by Pep Guardiola, who was so insistent on making sure that he was the one to craft him that he didn't want anybody essentially messing it up. He was like the Hello Fresh that you get delivered to your house that you're actually excited about. You don't want anybody else cooking it because it's going to be special. And that was... You definitely don't want me cooking it. (laughs) Just when when Phil Foden signed his new contract or talk started about the new contract, it it was kind of framed in this kind of... There were initial misgivings about the way that he would, he he had been handled and stuff like that. Uh, it's it's an, a kind of a, a lazy way of saying somebody questions something that was never questioned by player or club or management staff and that they were absolutely insistent that the best thing that they could do for Phil Foden because he was so good, not just a good player coming yeah. through, but because he was so good, they did not want anybody else messing him up. And just the training session. So you train with the first team from the age of 17 onwards, 17, 18 onwards. And he was getting games. It's just that strange thing that because he came to such prominence when he was 17 in that uh, under 17's World Cup, that suddenly you're thinking, well, he should be getting regular first, first team football by the time he's 17 and a half then. But no, those, they, that's an awareness thing and not a development thing. And so when he eventually was getting regular first team football, he was still 18, 19. And that you would say, and Chinch, this is, I mean, you, you played regular football from that age 17 yeah. onwards yeah so you appreciate that that you can do it both ways mm-hmm. but still that was the very essence of what they decided with phil foden that a loan spell it, it's like such lazy hackery to say well he's a young player who needs to go out and loan because he's not playing 55 games a season it's it, that 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 was a very carefully trodden path you're talking about Foden and Jones and Elliot, and as Rory was saying there, Elliot's kind of maybe insisted on going out and playing for his own reasons. These are exceptional players. The vast majority of young players are not as good at that age as these players are. So the vast majority are still going to be loaned out. But I know a lot of clubs now have loan managers 
I spoke to Shola Amiobi, who's the loan manager at Newcastle, and they think long and hard. I'm not sure there is a philosophy at Newcastle because I'm watching them play. I'm not sure what the plan is. But sending their players out, presumably to keep within the theme that they get with their parent club, so well, they can choose, is it Bristol City or Norwich? They want players. If they are going to go out and play and not be working with the coaches at their parent club, they want them to go somewhere which is kind of similar in many ways. So they do yeah, think so they're going to have a way. But surely the, with these exceptional players, and you're talking about Guardiola and Klopp here, they, they want those exceptional players to be influenced by the coach and not by the experience of playing meaningful football somewhere. They feel there's more value, and clearly that has been the case because those players are, apart from the Elliott injury, were starting to play regular first-team football for their parent clubs. You look at all of them, and Chelsea do the same, and Liverpool and Man City, they all have loan managers. They, they, they look and try and identify clubs you know, that play a similar system, and you know, Liverpool will be looking for, for high-pressing high pressing teams for certain positions, certainly. City will want teams that dominate possession, where the players can be expect can be expected to to have to be on the ball and have to make a lot of decisions, and to and they'll you know in, in far greater detail than that. Newcastle will look for teams that lose a lot, and and they'll yeah. they'll try and send out you know if you want to raise a Newcastle player, what what's the best way? You you, you put them in a team that that loses most of its games and where the fans are complaining. You That's... want them to come back, shoulders slumped, yeah, defeated, exactly. straight to the first team. You're absolutely spot on you, for what you we are, You are ready now to play for Newcastle. The <laughs> that's unfair. I apologise. The It is, yeah. We we, the, we I I apologise profusely. They do they, they do you try get your and fun match out them. of Newcastle whilst you still can. Exactly. Yeah, we have to we have to do <laughs> these gags now because eventually Oh South I think there's South plenty England. more gags at Newcastle's expense to come. Oh the, yes, the Saudi money will tell, and all of our morals will be will be questionable. The, I think that they do, they do a lot of work making sure that players are going to to a compatible club, yeah. but I don't know how much that work actually pays off because often the compatible clubs maybe don't want to sign your players on loan. They might have other players, other targets, and in that situation, the clubs then have to kind of make a a best guess. Kind of estimate of where the player might do okay, but it's why you buy lots of clubs so that you've got that kind of. Well, guarantee. yeah, exactly. Yeah. But also, it's what it's why you have a load of young players because it means that you're you're spreading the risk to an extent that some of them will end up in the right places. But then you still have the problem, even if you find a club where the system's right and the coach is good and the facilities are good and blah 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 blah, and they want the midfielder to play as this type of number eight who occupies these sorts of spaces and they play this type of game, which means that the midfielder will have to hone this particular aspect of how they interpret that role which is what you're looking to do as a club it might still be the case that the results turn because it, you know the championship or league one is, is nuts and a different manager comes in who doesn't want to to play the lone players or the manager loses faith with the young players and goes for experience just things are a bit tricky and but by the time you've kind of realized it or been able to do anything about it the player's not played for six months because you know because ultimately the the big problem with the loan system is that the, the major clubs are looking to use it to get their players' experience, but the clubs that they're using as loan destinations are looking to win football matches to keep people's jobs. And th ultimately, that will be more important. Have, have any of you watched any or a lot of academy football? Because I've not... Never, how, how competitive, how meaningful would you say it is? Well, I think it's, it's competitive and it's meaningful because the meaning is, in, is kind of inferred 
do you infer onto something or do you imbue it? The players imbue it with meaning because they want to do well, they want to win, they want to shine. So it's competitive. Or is it is it a learning? Is it is it the winning or is it the learning about how to how the club plays? That's that's the balance. Is that the the clubs will often greet defeats without. We've moved beyond kind of the idea now that you should sack your under 17s manager if they if they finish 12th in the league because what actually matters you're you're not try, the aim of a football team is not to win the youth cup it is to find players within that that age group who can be professional footballers and they all understand that and that is right I think there is a difficult balance to strike between how much you try and win and how much you try and make sure the players are getting the right sort of development. It is difficult because you don't want to teach the players that winning doesn't matter. Because this was the problem with the England under-21 group, was kind of they're, they're being kind of ready for maybe senior international football. And it, it seemed to me watching England play for a, a number of comments, it seemed to me more about the process of getting the players ready and comfortable to play international football rather than actually, wait a minute, aren't we here to try and win this game and win this tournament? So is that happening in in the domestic or also on the international? I think there well. might be some conflict as well between the players' desires. They want to win something. They don't have any international senior football guaranteed to them. So no. they might be thinking, "This is this is my shot as an under twenty one, where the pool is smaller. I'm playing for England. I want to win something." You might be having the attitude that you're trying to ready me for senior international football, and that might be your raison d'être. And absolutely right, and you can understand the reasons for that. But the players might be conflicted about that because they're thinking mm. well hang on a minute why don't you prioritize my potential only chance to win something internationally that does seem mental i can understand it at a club level that you say well look, the focus for the under 17s 19s under 23s is to play in the same way as the senior team so that those players are developing and learning the pathway to to how we want them to perform at first team level but that seems to make a lot lot less sense at international level where there isn't that that level of cohesion there isn't the time to work with the players in that way even at senior level so so why would you do it in in the age group category surely the the better experience for them would be to learn to be part of something develop the skills develop a bit of personality a bit of responsibility to perform at at elite level and and take that experience up to to the elite stage rather than having to play for your country at under-21 level in the way that perhaps the head coach is preparing the senior team. That seems illogical. But I'd also have a, a problem, and, and in answer to Chinch's question, I think it's, it is a difficult balance that everyone has to strike at either club or international level, is that you that youth football at whatever of whatever type is a part of your development. So the result doesn't necessarily isn't the mean is the result isn't necessarily the, the the complete end ambition of what you're doing but equally you, you can't tell players that it doesn't matter it doesn't matter if they win or not because that's the whole purpose of the exercise is to teach them how to win the and i think that is a balance that it is difficult for the clubs particularly to get i don't know whether i have a problem with clubs tailoring their development to produce players who work so well under one manager when that manager might change. I think that is dangerous because you could well... But isn't that why club philosophies are so important? That if well, the coach just changed, the actual the way yeah. the club plays, is that why it's gone the way... So they're so, interchangeable coaches now. So when Guardiola leaves Man City, they, they will go and get a coach who plays some form of football that is similar to Guardiola's. So the types of players that they've signed and the types of players that they've brought up can can be used by Pochettino or Brendan Rodgers or whoever whoever it might be. And when Liverpool replace Jurgen Klopp, the chances are it will be with a manager 
either like Marco Rosa, who plays a high pressing style, or someone like Steven Gerrard, who will will bite will be told this is the way we play. You, you, your management has to fit into this this style, and if you can't do that, then we, we might have a problem. They're not going to go and get a kind of ultra long ball manager or a particularly defensive manager, and that that makes sense. But I just I don't know whether it gives all of the players the best chance. I can see why the clubs do it, but it strikes me that it's the players' development development being harnessed to to, to the to the well being of the club rather than the development itself being being the end. Because what happens? We're talking about except the exceptions here. We're talking about Curtis Jones and Harvey Elliott and Phil Foden, who are all going to be professional footballers at the very highest level. The vast majority, as Chinch alludes to, are players who will have to learn to play a variety of styles. Just the bulk of their careers, a lot of them won't have careers, but the bulk of their careers will be spent at clubs who can't afford to have club philosophies, who can't afford to say, we're only going to to go and get this one type of manager, who might have to go and get a different type of manager because circumstances dictate it, who might have to change the way they play. Uh, I remember going to Rochdale and seeing Brian... Barry Murphy, the who you love, who who I really he's very Baron who Baron who Baron Baron, Baron Baron von Good Looking, <laughs> Baron von Good Looking. He's not my BFF, but he's him. extremely good looking, and he um, is an admirer of Giuseppe Football Italia. And him saying that one of the problems they had with with lone players was that they'd get them in and they'd be really good, but they'd only know how to play one style of football because that's what that's what the clubs had taught them. Because that that's what the clubs are looking for for those elite talents who will make it. But the vast majority of players will, won't end up playing for Liverpool or Manchester City, even as they come through their, their academies, and their education probably needs to be a little bit more versatile. Mm. Chinch, I'm I'm interested in in your experience because it it is different because you came through. Uh... A system which wasn't geared in that way. Well, insofar as it was geared, like all were, in getting you to run lots and, and play four four two. But yeah, the when you broke through as a seventeen year old and you started playing against the older players, you were playing against the older players in elite football. This was this is the top division. It's not like those four defenders that played the teenagers that played against Wickham for Manchester City who were suddenly experienced to something that they weren't used to and it was at a lower level than they would have got yeah. if they were first team players. So it's it's you that that's how much of a, a, a unique footballer you were. You were that good that you broke through that young. But, but also when, it's the cir- the circumstances helped yeah. as well. They, we didn't have the, the squads, they didn't have the luxury of so many players to choose from. But can you and finances hindsight... were different as well. So circumstances were different. It gave yeah. you the opportunity or gave me the opportunity. Can you look back now and say what you learned, what the benefit was from playing that football at that age against those players? Well, physically, you have to develop very quickly just to compete at that level because you're playing against grown men, late 20s, you're 16, 17. I made my debut at 16 years old playing alongside Mick McCarthy on a on a, on a tour to America. So I, I realised very quickly, again, I, I could play the game. I was physically developed enough at that age to be not knocked off the ball and be relatively comfortable but again, because it was, and again, it, I wasn't alone. There was four or five of us that basically, there's a couple that had gone before me. I got into the team with other players like Paul Lake. So it wasn't, it didn't feel strange. If I was the only player, it maybe would have been more difficult in a team of, of late 20-year-old players. And I'd stepped in at 16, 17. I would have probably felt a bit more uncomfortable. But again, the circumstances provided that for me. I had friends around me that I've been playing with for kind of, five or six, seven years. So that felt very natural and comfortable because my mates were in the team as well. But it just, from virtually first training session, first competitive game that you play, you know how it's going to be from here on in. 
So I did, I did think you, you learn an awful lot. But again, there wasn't the complication of different formations of playing different positions. I was a left back in a back four in a four four two. I'd done that ever since I was ten years old, and I did that for the first ten years of my career. So actually, how how difficult really was it if you're suddenly then playing as a wing back or a centre half or a full back and things are chopping and changing and you're playing against different types of players? I think the demands would be a lot greater and are a lot greater on the current young players. And maybe, again, coaches don't trust them quite as much because you haven't got that experience behind you, so they don't really know what you're going to give. Where I was given the opportunity because there wasn't any other left-back at the club, they wanted to put you into the side because they didn't have the money to go out and buy a more established left-back. So there's a, a whole range of reasons why my opportunity, like many others have in, in my era, came along. And it's clearly not like that anymore but it's very interesting to because I thought again there's only so many ways that, that football modern football is played but if you drop down to say leagues one and two and you've got the coach you're saying well if we take uh, an elite player from Chelsea who play in a certain way that player is going to really struggle to to maybe play a couple of different ways I didn't think there was that many different ways whether it's a pressing game a possession game a counter-attacking game but again maybe even in leagues one and two they are asking players to do a lot more than a, a player that's kind of been in many ways restricted to playing a certain way at an elite club and that can be then come a hindrance to their development and their future career when they clearly aren't going to make it at Chelsea. Is there a solution to what some people clearly, and going back to, to Daniel Baines's message right at the beginning of this, to, to what people clearly have concerns about the, the elite clubs stockpiling young talent, it doesn't feel like it's ideal. It feels like a better distribution would be good for everybody. But then the likes of Manchester City and Chelsea would probably argue that, A, they are giving these young footballers the best possible education they can get in an environment where they are surrounded by other exceptional young footballers. They're also giving them, giving them an element of job security. I, mean, I can't remember the last time I did a game, commentated on a game, where I didn't write down the words underneath the player on loan from... Manchester City are on loan from Chelsea. I did Trois in Ligue 1 recently, promoted to the French top flight, thinking they're not going to have a player on loan from, from either of those clubs. And I was right. They had two players <laughs> on loan from Manchester City, which struck me as being absolutely extraordinary. One of those was um, a, a Bacanabe a, from Burkina Faso, um, Issa Cabore, who is, is a wing-back, 20 years old. So you could argue, well, he will possibly be benefiting from this experience. He's still at an age where there is some development to be made. Another of them, I'm just going to just going to check the name, actually. Another of them was an American defender, uh, Eric Palmer Brown, who was 24. It's his fourth different loan away from Manchester City. And that's the kind of player that you think at some point and he didn't he didn't get onto the pitch. He was on the bench. You think, well, at some point, do those players need to be released into the wild? not only for their own good, but for, to get to the point where the talent is being distributed. Yes, I, I appreciate that in his case, he's probably got a much better contract security by remaining on Manchester City's books at the age of 24 than he is being contracted exclusively to a team that's likely to struggle in, in Ligue 1. But there does feel that they, surely these big clubs at some point need to make a decision about a player about whether, they're, whether or not they're a Phil Foden or whether or not they're a player who's getting towards their mid-20s who they would be better saying, right, it, it, it's time now for, for you to go out on your own. Well, yeah, and this is, this, is the, this is the issue. So the loan system is valuable 
as it's as it exists for young players not even the Fodens that we you know we've established the Fodens and Curtis Joneses maybe don't need it the you know Barca aren't going to be loaning out Gavi or Pedri or Ansu Fati there's a reason they've all just come through at Barcelona the the loan system is valuable I think for young for players under the age of 21 22 who are still who come through at elite academies and who are still working working out and people trying to work out where they fit in the ecosystem the, the the loan system is really important for that for them to get the experience to show that to, to show that they can cope at a certain level to cut their teeth that's crucial i think it shouldn't be beyond the wit of football's authorities although everything's beyond the wit of football's authorities to find a system that prevents clubs keeping those those players who are very clearly loan assets and i'd not i didn't didn't know about eric palmer brown but and Twat is a club that is owned by City Football Group, so there's a, a slight difficulty yeah, there. But it, the and I was slightly flippant <laughs> in the idea of oh they're not going to have anyone on loan from City, yeah. but that it it, do, it does demonstrate to you that that's how far and why this this it's the same with same with Chelsea. It, 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 it's something that you come across time and again, even commentating on on teams that are very much sort of middle to bottom ranking in, in European top flights that, that the players from City and Chelsea's academies are, are with them. Yeah, and if and if those players are, are like you say, 2021, 20, then, then that makes sense. If they are getting towards 24, 25, I do wonder whether there should be some sort of mechanism in place whereby the player gets to choose whether they continue with that contract at that club. Because it would be better for, for Eric Palmer-Brown, say, Yes, there's a risk attached to to working for a succession of smaller teams who probably can't pay as much and who can't guarantee the security and who might get relegated. But that, it, what about someone's family? Well, you know, where, I don't know if Eric Palmer Brown has kids, but where, where are his kids? Yeah. Where will his kids be if he keeps on being loaned out till he's twenty seven? Well, could that 28? be a could that be a career path? Having the prestige of having a connection to a Premier League club and just spend your career going out on loan and that and Chinch I think that's absolutely right that's why there's no easy way to say this is right or wrong yeah because there is some benefits to the players as well as the clubs because Eric Palmer Brown at some point might do well enough yeah playing at that level that a club whether it's Troyes in Troyes sitting within the city group wouldn't be a good example but that another French club at that sort level might Nantes might go Okay, City. Here's two million pounds for Eric Palmer Brand, and that that contributes massively to the running costs of City's academy, which a lot of it comes mm. back to. You look at Chelsea during the course of the summer; the amount of money that Chelsea spent, you know, ninety odd million on on Lukaku alone. But I think I'm right in saying that their their overall spend was pretty much neutralised by the amount of money they made from either selling or getting loan fees for players that have come through their system. Same, same with Manchester City. Manchester City were essentially um, in the black over yeah. the summer. But they weren't going to be if they bought Harry Kane, but, but because of getting the Sane money, because it fell into that yeah. particular kind of accounting period, and all the players like Lucas and Mecha that they sold and they got loan fees for, they they brought in more than the £100 million they spent on Jack Grealish. And if, in answer to Chinch's question about whether it's a career path, you look at Matej Delatz, who was a goalkeeper who played for Chelsea for 10 years, long enough, long enough to get a testimonial, but never appeared, and played over the course of those nine years, I think for eight or nine different clubs on loan. And that, that, that is easy to kind of mock and to look to point at that and say, this is bad, this is the clubs using, using a player as an asset, 
and just sort of farming them out, milking them for the loan fees. But from Matej Delac's point of view... Do you criticise the players for a lack no, of ambition? Be, no. Well, they're no, not playing because they, they, they just have at much, nine clubs. They have much more... I would suggest they have much more agency now in their career path, even though it seems like they have less because they are at least playing a part in the decision-making because they could turn down also, a new contract from their parent club. But also think of the security. If, if every time, and the, I don't know whether they did it with Delats, but the, with, a lot, with, a, with a lot of the younger English players, Chelsea will offer them a new contract, they'll sign the new contract, they'll go out on loan. And it means yeah. that you, you, you are looked after, but you, you, and you get to play first-team football. So it works for them and it works for the club. Whether the big question mark is whether the allowing the big clubs to control the flow of talent like that works for football in general is where it falls down. Mario Pasalic is one that perhaps the big clubs would hold up as being the poster boy for this kind of thing because he had four different loans before joining Atalanta on loan from Chelsea. Four different clubs kept going back to Chelsea everywhere he went. Monaco was another example. He looked more than capable of playing in the Premier League for a club like Chelsea. Eventually, whether or not it was his decision, whether or not Chelsea had, had seen enough to make a decision, but he was allowed to stay, go permanently to Atalanta. He's been exceptional for them and he's exceptional for Croatia as well. He more than holds his own in the midfield with Modric, Kovacic, Brozovic. You know, he plays at that level for club and country. So it's proved to be good for him and his career to have been in that kind of limbo for long enough to have benefited from it but that won't there will be there will be tales at the other end of the, the spectrum which of course we are much less uh, much less aware about uh, it is time for never mind jack and Ori, what a soccer story now this is normally when andy tells us a tale from his playing and broadcasting days with all adult behavior and libel worthy details removed but sometimes a previous soccer story um needs to be well hauled over the coals is that correct stephen We've had some fun along the way with the soccer stories. We don't take them too seriously. We understand that some of the detail chinch might have been embellished or, or changed for artistic and entertainment reasons. But I happened to be flicking around Sky Sports quite recently and I came across an episode of Gary Neville's Soccer Box with one of my favourite players growing up, Matthew Letissier. So I thought, well, I'll watch this. Good stuff. Interesting. Hear what Letizia has got to say. Gary Neville gets good stuff out of his guests on that programme. And as it so happened, training with England around the mid, nine, mid to late 1990s came up. And, and Gary Neville happened to mention to Matt Letizia that there was one or two impressive takers of a dead ball situation in the squad at around about the time that, that Letizia was involved a little bit more regularly. And Letizia recounted something from a, uh, from a training session not too far ahead of the 1998 World Cup in which he was involved in a free kick competition. Big time. A high quality free kick competition. Too right. And Gary Neville said to MLT... We go way back, me and MLT. Mm. <laughs> so who was, who was involved in this high-caliber free-kick competition of, of which you describe, Matt? And he said, well, it was, it was myself, obviously, the gaffer, Glenn Hoddle, and David Beckham. Any, anyone else? No, no, it was, it was the three of us. <laughs> what it was a pile incredibly, of horse it was It was of an incredibly high standard, but... Matt Letissier said that he 
he took the prize as the well, he's, he's as going, the most elite of the the, the free. He's going to take. say that, isn't he? When Hinchcliffe is picking out the top corner of Ian Walker's net consistently, of course he's not going to say, "Yeah, but we were put to shame because Letizia but ah Hoddle." There's no way they're going to say, "But actually, this complete nugget made a fool <laughs> of us." Then he's clearly not going to do that. But is there more to the story? I'm hoping not. No, no I'm I'm just intrigued. This, this harps back to Roy's story about Alan Shearer. Do you remember what I asked Alan Shearer about? Was it free kick takers or corner I don't, takers? I don't, know, went, I, don't, I don't think I identified Alan Shearer, but no. it was Alan Shearer, yes. Oh, was it? Sorry. <laughs> when Rory spoke to that England and Premier League hotshot, and he just, oh, no, Hinchcliffe. No, I don't remember him at all. No, 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 no. It's just, the people just seem to have airbrushed me out of footballing but, history. But why the, would he... The, that, I, that isn't a that... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to speak to MLT, and he's going to get a... PIC are punching the chops because that I put them to shame. Even I was surprised that I put them to shame, which is uh, which is the great thing. He's just he's covering his own back there. I just don't I just don't see Chinch what what benefit he gets from having got the best of a three way free kick competition. Why would he Why would he take another contributor that he that he, well, listen, he might out of the equation? Because I was I won. He was probably second of the four of us. So he's he's airbrushing me out and saying, well, I basically won compared to those two great free kick takers. He didn't. He came a miserly second to my good self. And that, people, is the truth. Keep your correspondence coming to setpiecemenu at gmail.com. Also, buy the merch at tpublic.com. Just a mention of that. I think we've had one already on this podcast. So well done us for at least getting in one. That is tpublic.com, SPM or setpiecemenu. Just put it in the search and you'll find all our glorious goods for you to buy. Please subscribe, share, rate and review as we humbly ask you to continue to find Rubrus in your podcast schedule. Thank you to Stephen, to Andy and to Rory and to you all for listening. We'll be back with another setpiece menu for you to enjoy very soon indeed. Are you, are you, are you likely come... to run into him at any point, Chinch, that you could bring this up? I am. If not I do, run. well, not not at Sky, obviously. But uh, I've got a game. Oh, I've you got won a game, that one as well, didn't you? I'm, a, I'm at a game down at Southampton, and he does he come do some kind of ambassadorial stuff? So I'm going to seek out LT, and I am going to have a word about this because where where did you read this, Steve? Because I, I this needs. My, I watched it with my right. own eyes, Chinch. I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna soccer box his ass, and he's gonna, he's gonna admit that I was there. I mean, how can he? Oh, I'm, I'm annoyed. I'm could annoyed it? Now. Could it? Could it? Plot, Don't try and make excuses for him. Plotting a path between the two extremes here. Could it be that it happened more than once? He is being selective and remembering the time that you weren't there injured, and he mm. might have beat. David it's Beckham a and Glenn Hoddle in possibility. a Cliffless it's competition. A, it's a possibility, but I, I know, I, I, you, you just, yeah, I know the reasons why you're doing this, I'm, but you're just trying to get him out of the jail that he's locked himself into, and he's going to stay there for life. I can't wait for the, I can't wait for the camera phone footage, the the badly angled camera phone footage yeah. of Chinch with his Sky Sports lanyard around his neck, beating on the <laughs> entrance to the executive boxes at St Mary's. Yeah. Bring Letitia. Yeah. Oh, Put the champagne down. Get your legend out of that executive box. I want a word with him. <laughs>